Hey, welcome to our Public Church podcast. We hope this message blesses you today. For more information on Public Church, please see us on www.public.church. I promised you that a couple of weeks ago that I would take us through the Lord's Prayer. And I'm actually super excited for today because it's been such a revelation to me. And so I really pray that as I pass this to you, that this will be something that you will never forget and that will actually bring great revelation to your heart. So just can we just pray for a moment and then we will get started. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for every person here. Lord, I thank you for the atmosphere of faith in the place today. I thank you that you know every need, every story. And Father, I just ask that you would take my words, the Holy Spirit, that you would anoint them, and that Jesus, you would turn them into revelation for everyone here. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. All right. So we've been doing a series on prayer, Pray Like This, uh, and I started the Lord's Prayer two weeks ago, and I'm going to continue it today. I'll recap so that if you missed that, um, you won't be behind. But I just wanted to start by saying that in Matthew chapter 6, just before Jesus told the disciples how to pray, he actually said, when you pray, pray like this. But in Luke, he said it a different way. He says, when you pray, say. Okay, when you pray, say. Now, to us, we just think, oh, okay, excellent. This is something that we're to repeat. These are some words. But what we need to understand is that the Hebrews believed that words were not just us having a conversation and expressing our thoughts and our ideas, but words were actually a manifestation of who we already were on the inside. Can you, under, can you see the difference? So words represented something we'd already built into our life. So when they heard Jesus say to them, when you pray, say, they knew straight away what he meant. He wasn't just saying, repeat this after me, like we all can do, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, etc. What Jesus was saying to them was that these words are not just words. This prayer is an environment that you are to carry. Now, I want you guys, if you can, to take notes today because I want you to remember some of this and I'm going to put some of it on the screen as well. But when he said, say this prayer, the Lord's prayer is not just this bunch of words. It actually should represent something that is already manifested in our life. So Jesus is saying, build an awareness of this in your life. Carry these words. And remember what I said two weeks ago, that what we build in secret, we will manifest in public. Okay, so write that one down. So what Jesus is saying is this prayer, these words are not just words. They're a manifestation of what you should already be carrying on the inside of you. That's why it's important for us to understand what did he mean by the Lord's Prayer. There's so much more meaning to it than what we understand with our Western understanding. And so Jesus is saying the Lord's Prayer is so powerful, it should be something we build on the inside of us because what we build in secret, remember we manifest and it comes out in public. So this is a bit of a recap as well. Um, I talked about the very first line of the Lord's Prayer, which is, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, you have to go back and listen to the podcast if you missed it, but I'll give you the quick version. The Hebrews would have understood this to mean, My supplier, my father, my supplier of everything I need, 
who is not way up there, but is cl- as close as the air I breathe, I become aware of you. That's what the first line of the Lord's Prayer means. And then I talked about how this supply is a flow that already exists. That's why before the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, don't be like the pagans, don't do rituals, don't use lots of words, don't think you have to pray a certain way. He was saying that this supply of everything that you could need right now is already there. And we don't have to pull it down in prayer by some rituals or repeating words or using fancy words. We just have to step into it. See, when we were worshipping before, that was incredible worship, by the way. Good job, Brad and the band. Do you know what we were doing? We were just stepping into it. We were singing words of faith. Like, I don't know if you could feel it, but I could. It's like, God, walls come down in your name. Lord, bones are turned into armies. You know what we're doing? We're just stepping into the flow and letting it like a waterfall just come over us. So that's a quick recap. But now we're going to look at Matthew 6, verse 10 and 11. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And I want to unpack that. I'm going to split it into three. We're going to start with your kingdom come, your will be done. This is going to honestly blow your mind. When I prayed this, I've prayed this my whole life. I grew up in a uniting church. I always thought that this just meant, oh, well, God, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It means so much more. Because remember, when we speak words, it's not about something happening out here. It's about what's happening in here. So let's have a look at your kingdom come, your will be done. For a start is, those two thoughts mean very similar things. So the, um, it was very common in Hebrew poetry and teachings for them to say one statement and then to repeat it again straight after in a slightly different way, okay? So your kingdom come, your will be done. Pretty much they're saying the same thing. So let's unpack what that means. There's two kind of ways we can look at the kingdom. The first is this. The Hebrews were taught that the kingdom of God was very important in their prayer life. They were taught that God was going to send a Messiah who would establish a kingdom and they were trained to look for the kingdom, for the coming Messiah. You know, in Luke chapter 17, the Pharisees asked Jesus, well, where's the kingdom? Where is the kingdom? Is it here? Is it there? And they were wondering because they were trained to look for the kingdom. But remember, every word they said that Jesus said is not just words. They represent something that exists on the inside of us. So when we pray your kingdom come, it's not just words. It actually means that there should be a sense of the kingdom of God so far down inside of us that it is a part of us. Let me ask you this. How much do you carry the kingdom of God in here, in your heart? Not in your head where you might, you know, have theological debates and look at this part of Scripture and that part of the Scripture and you, you rationalize God. No, no, no. It, the kingdom is not that. The kingdom is not some compartment of my life that I go to church on Sundays, I pray a couple of times during the week, and then I live the rest of my life. No, 
thy kingdom come means, God, I need to live in such a way. Jesus is saying, live in such a way that the kingdom of God is on the inside of you, that it determines every decision that you make. It determines everything about you. It determines the way that you raise your kids. It determines the person that you're going to marry, not in that order, wrong way around. It determines the career that you decide to, it determines everything about your life. And I was thinking about some really, really basic examples. Like when Cameron and I built our very first house in Adelaide, we built this little cottage and we thought we were extending ourselves so much. The block was like 37,000. Can you believe that? We thought that was so expensive. You can't even buy a tenth of a block for that now. And the house was like a, I can't even remember, 170,000. And I remember we hardly had any money. But the one thing that we decided to do in our house was to have carpet in our lounge area for one reason. We ran the youth ministry and we had a lot of youth leaders come over to our house for discipleship every fortnight and we wanted them to be comfortable on carpet. And not only did we buy carpet, we actually, do you remember, babe, we bought golden underlay. I know, like it's softer on the tush. It's comfier, apparently. But I remember us making that decision. Do you know why? The kingdom of God was just so much inside of us. We love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, that everything, even the carpet in our house, we were kingdom-minded. Because what were we doing? We were building a youth group. That's why we wanted leaders to be comfortable when they came over our house, because we were discipling them to be young men and women who lived their lives for Jesus, who could be great leaders, so we could have a great youth ministry. And our youth ministry went from 120 kids to 400 kids kids in about three years. Now, was it to do with our underlay? Well, maybe. But do you know what it was? It was because everything that we did, everything that we thought, every decision that we made, we had kingdom thinking, kingdom on the inside of us. You know, Izzy and Renee are about to move the house and they're moving. Am I allowed to say where you're moving? Oh, they're moving to Sunnybank. Whoever would have thought I'd see Isaiah in Sunnybank, I'll never know. But do you know why? He wants to be close to you guys. He and Renee are literally building their lives around kingdom. They know that they're called to be here, and so they're making decisions around kingdom. That's why we raise our kids to be in church every Sunday, because we're building our family around kingdom. That's why I say to my kids, you're allowed to date now, but you make sure you pass it by me first, because let me tell you, we'd be like the hardest parents in the world if you want to date my kid, I'm telling you. Because do you know what? Cameron and I see kingdom. We see future We're not just looking for good for our kids. We're looking for God. We don't just want good for you. We want God. We don't just want good for public. We want God. Your kingdom come means live with the kingdom so deep inside of you that there's another thing that kingdom means. Have a look at Romans 4, 17 to 19. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace. Interesting that it hones in on peace again and to mutual edification. Do you know what the kingdom of God is? It says it right there. If we can keep that scripture up, I can't see. Is it up? If we can keep it up, it says it is righteousness, peace, and joy. 
Righteousness, peace, and joy. Your kingdom come. Say it. Your kingdom come. I don't mean you say it. I'm saying it. Your kingdom come. What does that mean? It should live on the inside of us. It should be something manifest on the inside of us. Therefore, what Jesus is saying is may righteousness, peace, and joy manifest on the inside of you. That is what the kingdom is. May there be an awareness of righteousness, joy, and peace built into my life. May these things be built into our spirit. See, we've been made righteous through the blood of Jesus, but it really hones in here on peace. Now, peace is one of God's covenant names, shalom. It's part of the kingdom. It means utter harmony with God without missing one piece, like a symphony. Not just the absence of conflict, but the presence of wholeness. We are called to live in absolute peace on the inside of us. That's what kingdom come means, to have peace and joy and righteousness. Is there something that you need to get rid of in your life that is sabotaging your peace or your joy? Is there a person? Is there a situation? Is there a debt? Is there something that you need to move away from in order to live with thy kingdom come, with joy and peace? Is there a situation in your life? And I know a lot of people's situations here, and I know that there are people in this church right now who have situations that are bringing them a lot of fear and a lot of confusion and a lot of unrest in their life. And you know what Jesus is saying to you here? That he will give you peace. It'll be on the inside of you, and it will guard our heart, and it will guard our mind if we allow. See, Romans 4.19 says, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace. Let us is not a suggestion. It's actually a command. So let us do everything to lead us into a life of righteousness, peace, and joy. How might this outwork itself? Well, I remember years ago when I was seeing someone else, not Cameron, and you probably know this story because I talk about it, but I remember I didn't feel any peace in my heart about it at all. On the outside, it, it ticked all the boxes. Loved God, you know, wanted to serve God. This guy, like this guy ticked all the boxes except for one box, my heart box, peace. I didn't have it. And the Bible says, let peace be the umpire that guides you and that rules your heart. And I remember he walked in one day into my classroom with his bags because we were both teachers. And he walked in and he saw my face because he put the bags down, looked up, saw my face because he knew what was coming, picked up the bags. And I remember saying to him, I'm so sorry, but I just don't have peace. And so I just have to walk away from this. And he walked out the room and I felt kind of gutted on the one hand. But on the other hand, the peace that I felt because I knew that I was making the right decision. See, that he had to be moved out of the way so God's perfect will for my life could come in. I didn't say you're perfect, babe, but perfect will. (laughs) Pretty close. Okay, so you might go, Renee, that's easier said than done. You know, we all get anxious. Philippians 4, 6 to 7. Paul is saying, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And here it is again, the peace of God. Remember, peace of God, part of the kingdom, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and guard your minds. Now, we might say, Paul, that's easy for you to say. Come on. That's massive. I've got a situation going on in my life right now, and I do not have peace. And I think it's pretty normal not to have peace in that instance. 
But do you know what Paul's doing by saying this? He's trying to build this into his spirit because remember what he went through? He had anxious moments in his life, like try being beaten half to death on five different occasions. I think that would cause a little bit of anxiety. Imagine what he must have looked like after being beaten to death, uh, half to death. Imagine the scars, imagine the wounds, imagine the physical pain that he had. Three times he was also beaten with rods. Once he was stoned, and yet he's telling us not to be anxious. Why? Because the Lord's prayer, your kingdom come, let peace, righteousness, joy manifest itself, be built into my spirit. Why? So that it can guard my heart and my mind. It is the greatest gift that I think we have on this planet is to have a heart and a mind guarded from all anxiety, from all fear. That's the promise of God. What do we do? How do we get into it? Remember, we don't pull it down by babbling and lots of words. We step into it. God, I'm aware of your peace. And do you know what? For some of us, you might have to step into it 50,000 times a day. Every time you get out of peace, you go back into it. Every time you get out of it, God, I go back into it. All of us face things and we have to train ourselves to go, no, the peace, the peace. So your kingdom come, your will be done. Second part, on earth as it is in heaven. I won't park on this one long because I really want to get to daily bread. On earth as it is in heaven. All that means is, let these things, the kingdom of God, the kingdom inside of me, righteousness, peace and joy, let these things define my life. Let these things define my life. But it gets even better. On earth as it is in heaven, our responsibility is to bring some of heaven on earth today. It is our responsibility to bring heaven, because all of these things already exist in heaven. Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. Everything we could ever need. Our responsibility as on earth as it is in heaven, we need to bring some kingdom power to earth. Not just in our own life, in our family. Not just in our family, for one another. Not just for one another. In every environment that we come into, we need to be people that bring some heaven on earth. When other people are feeling anxious, when other people are feeling afraid, when other people are going through things, we, are, we have the responsibility to say, would you give me what I need today, like food and shelter? That is not what this means. Two kinds of bread. The first was manna, which we've all heard about, which was actually really hard seed. So let's have a look at Numbers 11, 7 to 9. So remember, the manna was left for the Israelites as they were wandering around in the desert, in the wilderness. The manna was like coriander seed, and it looked like resin. Now, the people went around gathering it and then ground it in a hand mill or crushed it in a mortar. They then cooked it in a pot or made it into loaves. And it tasted something like something made with olive oil, and when the dew settled on the camp at night, the manna also came down. So they gathered it, they ground it, and it was useless until they processed it, okay? So they would grind it to a powder. Has anyone got a mortar and pestle at home? Grind it to a powder, or I actually have got a thermomix, so I just whiz it for a few seconds in my thermi, Vanessa and I, thermi sisters. <laughs> you need to get a thermomix, girls. 
does it in seconds. Am I right, Vanessa? Seconds. Not that I do it very often. You can make ducker, ducker, what do you call it? But they had to do it either in a machine or by hand with a mortar and a pestle. And then they had to cook it and then they could eat it. Now, when the Hebrews, when the disciples heard Jesus say, give us this day our daily bread, do you know what that would have meant to them? Give us a daily sense, a daily uh, deliverance, delivery of your word. That's what that means because Jesus, the bread, is the bread of life. So our daily bread is our daily dose of Jesus, our daily dose of the word. And of course, they would have remembered the manna bread, the manna. See, we have to build a sense in our lives that we are every day willing to gather the seeds of the word and not just gather it, work it, turn it over, think about it, process it, and let it mull over, cook it into our life, mold it, roll it around. You see, unprocessed manna, what would happen to it? It would rot the next day. Only what they ate had nutritional value. They couldn't live on yesterday's manna. We cannot live on yesterday's revelation. We cannot live on the word that God gave you yesterday. This has literally changed my life in the sense of, I used to think, oh, it's all right to go a few days without kind of, you know, spending any time with God. But now I'm like, "Uh uh-uh. We have to daily, every day get a new revelation. And this is the other thing that's even scarier. Any manna that was left on the ground and not collected rotted which means that God's got a word for you every single day. And if you don't go in and get it, you miss out. Do you know what that's made me do? It, has to, it doesn't have to be complicated. I quickly sit on the side of my bed. I grab whatever book I'm reading at the time and I open it up and I open up my Bible and I open up my journal and even if it's one thing, just one word for the day, and I write it down, and that's the one thing I think about that day. Because if I go one day without gathering and sitting and saying, God, give me one thing today, I miss out. I'd hate to think how many revelations I've missed out on because I haven't bothered to get aside with God. But if we're faithful and we go and we gather it, there's something every single day. But then there was a second bread called the showbread. Now this bread, if manna was given daily, showbread, guess how many times that was given? Once a week by the priest. People wonder, why do we have to go to church every week? It is literally built into the Old Testament with things like this. The manna bread, the showbread was kept in the inner court, had to be unleavened, and guess what? It could only be eaten as a community. Manna was eaten individually, showbread was eaten as a community. Guess what we're doing right now? We're feasting on showbread as a community. And it was brought by the priest. I was called a priest once, literally, on a plane. (laughs) This guy asked me, I was on my way to WA, and I had like leather boots on and, you know, wearing black because it's my usual. And he asked me what I did, and I was trying to explain it. And he goes, so you're a priest in leather boots, so that doesn't sound very good, but yes, <laughs> but no. <laughs> but 
But the, in other words, our daily walk with God is between you and God. If I could have the band come. The daily walk is between you and God, eaten by you individually, a daily personal revelation from God for you. But we also need to gather once a week because we need a pastor or someone speaking into our life and we need to eat together once a week as a community on the word of God. And showbread actually meant nothing without the daily manna. So we feast on the showbread, but we're nourished on the manna. So you know this whole, I'm not going to go to that church because I'm not getting enough of the word. Well, you know what? If I ate one meal a week, I'd be starving too. (laughs) I didn't mean for that to be ooh. (laughs) But it's what literally what the Bible's saying. You can't rely on coming here once a week because that's the extra feasting part. But you are going to be starving if you come to us next Sunday and then go, public church isn't giving me deep enough of the word. Because you've starved yourself. I'm talking to me too. So we have a responsibility to daily. And you know what's so beautiful about it? God has a different word and a different revelation every day for every single one of us. Don't overcomplicate it. Make it easy. Just grab your Bible out. Just write something down. Open up your Bible on your phone. Highlight just one thing and let that be the manner that you nourish yourself with today. And then let there be something else tomorrow and something else the next day.